Give you all a very warm word of welcome to our service today. It's lovely to see you all who have gathered in. And for those who are visiting, we do trust you'd feel very much at home as we come and worship our great God together. On Friday night past, we had a great evening at our boys' brigade display. And it was mentioned on Friday night, one of the boys who was unable to be there on Friday night, that he has achieved his Queen's Batch and... Uh, thought it would be appropriate that this morning that that will be presented. So we'll ask our Captain William to come forward and ask Scott as well to come forward, please. Queen's Badge. The Queen's Badge is the highest award in BB, and it's maybe not too big a percentage to actually go on and do it. So well done to Scott for working hard, especially through COVID times. He done his uh, President's Badge and all too, which made it a bit more difficult as well. So we'll just present this to Scott now. Thank you very much, William, and congratulations, Scott. Uh, very well done. It was shown on, I think it was maybe a dozen or 14 boys the whole time, and the boys' brigade have achieved that from Brookside. So uh, it's not often happened. So very well done uh, to Scott for achieving that. As we come to worship our great God again, let me just read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What a tremendous invitation to come to the Lord, to turn from our sinful ways, to come to the Lord, knowing that He will pardon us. We're going to praise God using the words of uh, Psalm 14. It's one of the Portland own Psalms, and it's a Psalm that just speaks about our great need to be forgiven.
Let's all join together in prayer. Let us all pray. Father, when we look at how you see us in our fallen state, Father, in our, our sinfulness, Father, it is never a pretty picture. Father, we are a people who by nature turn away from you. We want to push down the truth about you. We are a people who naturally want to reshape a God in our own image, a God who's more comfortable for us. And Father, we realize that is a horrendous sin because you're this God of majesty, glory, and perfection. And Lord, that we thought somehow we can improve you. Father, we are a people who hurt each other. Our thoughts towards each other, our words, our actions, what we do and what we don't do, Father. Show us lack of love and kindness so often. So often, Father, we're caught up on ourselves. And we realize, Father, that the very essence of sin is that we place ourselves upon the throne of our own lives. And we push Jesus to the side. Yes, willing to call him in when we need some help or to ease our conscience. But so often, Father, we have to be the ones who rule. And Father, we realize that your word teaches us that sin is never something light to you. It is something that, Father, deeply concerns you. Father, we see throughout the Bible, Father, that your wrath comes upon the sin of people. And we think of how even when your son took the sin of your people upon himself on the cross, your wrath came upon him. You're not a God who can just ignore sin. Part of your perfection, part of the beauty, the glory, the, the wonder of who you are, God, is that you just cannot accept anything that is wrong or wicked. But Father, we want to thank and praise you that you have not left us in our sin. We want to praise you that you've sent Jesus to be our Savior, to deal with the, the guilt of our sin and to break the power of sin in our lives. And Father, we realize that for Jesus, it came at such a high price. Father, as we approach Easter once more, we think of Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem, knowing he was going to die, and yet he went with such a determination that even frightened the disciples. Such was his love. Such was his mercy. And Father, we thank you that Jesus has paid the price in full. And we praise you, Father, that not only has he on the cross dealt with our sin, but Father, he continues to live with your people through the power of your Spirit, so that indeed we can know the victory of the cross in our lives day by day. Father, forgive us our many sins. Wash us and cleanse us today. And Father, grant that we would have the joy of salvation, that we would have the joy of a new life, a life of love and purity that comes from knowing Christ. For such grace and for your glory we pray. Amen. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're going to sing again a piece the young people introduced for us a few weeks ago. God is for us.
Just a few announcements. There's a cup of tea after the service this morning. I encourage you to wait for that. So a cup of tea after the service be served from the front as usual. And then membership class at 3 o'clock this afternoon in the manse. And all will be very welcome that who have come to know and love the Lord Jesus. And then this evening we have our youth focus service at quarter past six. The youth fellowship will be leading at and the Youth Fellowship are meeting at 5 o'clock. Let me just say, for those who are in the membership class, who are also in the Youth Fellowship, uh, you're very welcome after the membership class to wait for a cup of tea uh, in the manse, and then you can head up at 5, at five o'clock, saving parents having to make two journeys. You're very welcome to do that. So, just remind you that you focus tonight, and normally those Youth Focus services, the offering, loose offering, will be going towards the Youth Fellowship funds. I encourage you to give generously to that. Then through the week, uh, just to remind you that on Wednesday night, it is this week, it's the men's midweek, and on Thursday night then it is the women's midweek. So really encourage folk to come along to those two meetings. I'll be speaking on Wednesday night, and then uh, Catherine will be speaking at the Thursday evening meeting. And then on Friday night, it is the girls' brigade display, and all will be made very welcome to that indeed. There are many other announcements there regards organizations. Please take time to have a look at those. Let me just say to committee, a very important meeting on Monday week, that's the 3rd of April, at 8 p.m. in the Minor Hall. And really would encourage uh, folk to be praying for that. We'll be uh, considering short-term and long-term uh, solutions regards our meeting house. And so I really would encourage folk to pray. Pray for unity, pray for clarity in, in, what, in our discussion. So uh, just remind committee of that on Monday week. Please do take time to read through the other announcements that are there. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to just from our prayer diary on the 26th, we're asked to pray for our local primary schools and also to pray today for Afghanistan and for the pray for the small number of believers in Afghanistan and others who have come even to our own province who are believers, praying for them as well. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the schools that we have in this area, and particularly, Father, we want to thank you so much for the strong Christian influence in our primary schools. We do pray, Father, for uh, Mrs. Parker, we pray for Mr. McComb, uh, Father, we pray for Mr. Beatty and other principals, Father, in the primary schools, that they would know your grace and leading, Lord, in all that they do. We thank you for many Christian teachers and other Christian members of staff, and bless them, Lord, in what they do. May they know wisdom and grace. And Father, we do pray, as particularly through school assemblies, as ministers and others go in, and through the Scripture Union, through RE classes, as your word is shared, Lord, it would have a deep impact in the lives of boys and girls. We realize, Father, there are those who would want this Christian influence to be taken out of our schools. Father, we pray that you would prevent that from happening. We pray that you would protect this Christian teaching within our schools. And Lord, that you would bless it mightily in these days. Father, we would also want to pray today for the country of Afghanistan. We do realize, Father, that with the Taliban taking over again, Father, it's liberty is, Father, taken away from so many people. We realize, Father, that for girls and women who enjoyed education, that that has been removed from them. We realize for the church it has to be totally underground, otherwise, Father, they face death. We pray for the believers in the country that they would know your grace and help. And we pray for believers, Father, Afghan believers across this world, that you would be unto them, Father, all that they need. And even, Father, give them the wisdom that they need, Father, in regards how they share what is happening to them. Father, we couldn't imagine being in a situation where even you'd face death from your own family members in coming for coming to Christ. But Lord, be with the Afghan believers and be with those who are working with them and serving with them, Lord, even within our own city here. Lord, work, we pray, by the power of your Spirit. 
Father, we do also want to pray today for just all that's happening within our church, for our membership class this afternoon, our youth focus service tonight, for our men's and women's midweeks through the week, from particularly too, for the, the GB display and all that's going on. Father, we just pray in your grace and mercy that you would work powerfully by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry, one thing I forgot to announce, Youth Club is meeting again on Saturday night. It's out of sequence a wee bit because of Easter coming, so it's meeting again this Saturday night, and any boys and girls of Primary 7 will be allowed to come along uh, for the last two nights of the Youth Club. You'll be very welcome to come along to that. Let's read God's Word, uh, Romans chapter 3, as we read this passage together. Romans 3, beginning at verse 9. What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Amen. Boys and girls, you come up to the front for a minute or two, please, and I'll speak to you. Thank you. Okay, great to see you, boys and girls. And we announcement for you, okay? Uh, Sunday school will not be on the next two Sundays. So the 2nd and the 9th of April, Sunday school's off. It'll recommence on the 16th of April, okay? Just so you remember that. We're going to think today about our bodies, boys and girls. We have amazing bodies. Click on the next week picture. And our bodies, when people are running, uh, it's amazing what our bodies to, can do. And that. The next picture we see, our bodies are controlled in many ways by our brains. So, hold your hand up in the air, okay? Hold your hands up, okay? Now, how did your hands go up in the air? Amazing thing happened when I spoke to you, you heard what I was saying, you understood what I was saying, and your brain sent a signal that caused your hand to go up in the air. Now, the reason I want to talk about our bodies today, boys and girls, is that the Bible talks about the church as being the body of Christ. And the head of the church is Jesus. Jesus is like the brain of the church. And the same way your brain sent a signal for you to lift your hand, Jesus sends signals through his word, the Bible, so that we will act in the way that he wants us to act. So, the head of the church, not the minister, not the elders, the head of the church is Jesus. And he speaks to us through his word. But we see in the next picture, in the body there are many different parts. You've got your eyes, you've got your nose, you've got your ears, you've got your mouth, your arms and your legs. Loads of different parts of your body. Now, wouldn't you be very strange if you had no eyes but four ears? That wouldn't work too well, would it? Or if you had no mouth but two noses? That wouldn't be good. It would be hard to take food, wouldn't it? And, you know, we need all the different parts of our body. Our bodies work when all the different parts are doing their job. And it's the same in the church. Now, boys and girls, you look around at the people in the church. We're all different. We all look different. And we have all different abilities. 
But every member of the church, boys and girls, everybody in the church, from the youngest to the biggest, the oldest, is important. And we all have different jobs to do and different ways that we can serve Jesus. Now, wonderful thing, boys and girls, we were thinking over the number of weeks about a very special friend. You can't see him, but he's here, and he lives in Christian. He's called the Holy Spirit. And he is the one who helps boys and girls, mums and dads, when they become Christians, to serve in the church. And there's loads of different ways that people serve. We see in the next picture a couple of ways. We see somebody there teaching. And already today, you've been at Sunday school, and other boys have been at Bible class, and there's people teach God's Word there. People teach God's Word at Girls' Brigade, Boys' Brigade, teach God's Word, you fellowship, you club. I teach it on Sunday, the elders teach it, other people teach it. So some people have been given the gift of teaching. But also see in that picture, some people have been given the gift of evangelism. Wow, it's not a big word. Evangelism just means telling others about Jesus, people who don't know Jesus. Now, you see in the picture, there's a fellow called Philip. We see the next picture, we'll see him a wee bit better. And Philip was called an evangelist. This means he told people about Jesus. Sometimes he did a bit like me, got up and he preached to crowds of people to tell them about Jesus. And other times we see in the next picture, he went alongside a man from Ethiopia who was by himself. And just the two of them talked together. This man was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He was reading about Jesus being a lamb who would be sacrificed. He didn't understand it. And we see in the next picture that Philip comes and Philip explains what is it about. He explains to him what, who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do to save us from our sins. That's what evangelism is, boys and girls. Telling others about Jesus. And that man came and trusted in Jesus. And then we see our final picture, boys and girls. Three more things we can serve. We can serve by serving people. You see the one in the middle? Somebody's sick and the wee boy is helping the person who's sick. So we can help people who are in need. Next, we see in the corner there, somebody giving some money. Now, all God's people give some money. But some people have a special gift of giving. And then the third person is ruling, like our elders do, who rule over what happens in the church. So, we have thought today about people who have gift of teaching, evangelism, serving, giving, ruling. We're going to think about, next time, more ways that the book of Romans teaches us that we can serve. But the important thing, boys and girls, is that as you grow up, you know and love Jesus. Jesus has a job for you to do in the church. Jesus has a role for you to play. I love going to football matches, boys and girls. And you go to a football match, and there's normally just 22 players plus the three referees on the pitch, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people in the stands just watching. That's not what church is to be like, just with a few players and the rest watching. Every Christian... Everybody who knows Jesus has been given gifts by Jesus and has special ways that Jesus wants them to serve. We're going to sing your hymn now, boys and girls, which reminds us that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit like a, like a oil in our lamps to let us burn for him.
If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Romans 3 and verses 9 to 20. As you look at this today, under the title, Our True Condition. Our True Condition. One of the important things in being a good doctor is being able to make a good diagnosis of the problem that a patient has. And the Apostle Paul has a good spiritual doctor is seeking in these early chapters of Romans to show his people the right diagnosis of the condition that they have. And as we come today to chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, we're reaching the climax of Paul's argument. And here we get a very clear diagnosis of the natural human condition. And we say the natural condition, I mean the condition that we're born with, who we are by nature, before grace impacts our lives. And this is the natural condition of all people. Not a few, but all people. Now, the opening verse here, verse 9, gives us a very good summary of where we stand. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Now, previously back in verse 1, Paul had spoken of how the Jews were better off. The Jews were in a privileged position because they had God's Word and other things. But here Paul is speaking about where people stand with God. And when it comes to our standing with God, just being a Jew did not make anyone any better off. And Paul's summary of the condition of all mankind by nature is that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. All people are under sin. That's his diagnosis of the problem of the human condition. It's common to all people. It's what we're born with. We're born under the, the guilt and under the power of sin. That's our condition. Now, let's Look as Paul expands this diagnosis a wee bit further. And the first thing we see is sin's corruption in verses 10 to 12. And what Paul shares here in all of this section from verse 10 right down to verse 18 are quotes from different Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Isaiah are thrown in there as well. And the first few verses here are taken from what we were singing earlier, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, which are nearly identical at the, at the beginning of them. Look what he says in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, maybe you think, well, that's not true of me. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul is quoting from Scripture of what is true of the natural human condition of all people. The whole direction of these people's lives is naturally twisted and bent away from God. They don't seek God. He says they have turned aside, and they have become worthless. Now, what does that mean? Well, we need to be careful what it means. The word worthless translated here carries the idea of being morally corrupt, morally being useless, morally being of no value. And what is being said is that people due to their corruption of sin, there's nothing that they can do in themselves that is of spiritual good in the sight of God. Paul is teaching that there is nothing that people can contribute to their own salvation. Sin has such an impact on people even as we're born, sin is such an impact, we are by nature enslaved by this sin. It speaks of people's understanding there in verse 11. This corruption affects how a person thinks. Due to sin, how a person is put together mentally, how they think is not right. Their ability to have a right understanding of God, of salvation, of life, has been disabled by sin. When I am recording on my phone, 
the morning devotions or other things, I put my phone into airplane mode. I discovered early on the first lockdown, I didn't do that, and I got phone calls in the middle of things, I had to start again. And so I put my phone in airplane mode. And when I put it in airplane mode, there are certain things within my phone are disabled. I can't join Wi-Fi, I can't join Bluetooth. There's things in the other day, I forgot my phone was in airplane mode and was getting very frustrated that a text message wouldn't go in that. It had been disabled. It's the same of us because of sin. Certain things have been disabled. And our understanding, our right understanding of God, ourselves, sin, salvation has been disabled. And because of sin, no one by themselves can grasp this truth. Now, what we have in these verses is what theologians call total depravity. Now, that doesn't mean that people are as sinful as they could be, but it does mean that sin has impacted every part of our being. Our understanding, our desires, our will have all been enslaved by sin. Paul calls this in Ephesians 2 as being dead, dead in our trespasses and sin. It isn't that we are spiritually sick and need a wee bit of a tonic. The Bible teaches we're spiritually dead and in need of resurrection. We need the miracle of resurrection upon our souls. We need that which is dead within us to be brought to life. We need to be what Jesus called being born again, being made spiritually alive. And notice here this condition is absolute. It is true of everyone naturally. That is why people, this is what people are like until they are transformed by the grace of God. Sin's corruption. And then secondly, we have sin's wickedness in verses 13 to 15. And there are five parts of the body mentioned here, and each seems to show a, a progression in this wickedness. Look at these verses. Let's begin in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. That speaks of it being something that is deadly and something that's stinking. They use their tongues to deceive. People by nature are not honest. The venom of ass, that's a snake, is under their lips. Their lips are basically spouting out what is poison. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Mouths hurt people. The words that come out curse people. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There are people, if they had the right situation, would truly hurt others. Now, that's not a pretty picture. That's an awful picture. But that is a picture of who we are by nature. Now, it's true that none of us have reached our full potential of wickedness because in this world, God's restraining hand holds back people's sin, our conscience, the influence of family, the influence of government, fear of consequences. All those things hold back the influence of sin in people's lives. But nevertheless, this is an accurate description of who we are by nature. People with our mouths, people with our actions, who would want to hurt other people. If our circumstances were different, if we didn't have the many good influences that we have had in our lives, what you and I could be capable of if God's restraining hand was taken off, is absolutely frightening. When you hear about very wicked people, you hear of people who are like serial killers or people who go on these shooting sprees or people who are terrorists or people involved in other very heinous crimes. We like to distance ourselves from them as if they're away over there, they're they're monsters. They're not a human being like you and me. They're, 
They're so different. But if you think of the most evil people that have ever existed, people like Hitler, people like Saddam Hussein, people like Jeffrey Dahmer, that mass murderer, these people were born with the same nature as you and I. They didn't get an extra dose of sin. We were all born with the same sin. This is what we are by nature. And this is what we would be and do if God didn't restrain us. Sin's corruption, sin's wickedness. And then thirdly, we have sin's misery in verses 16 to 18. In verse 16, it says, in their paths are ruin and misery. Now, this ruin and misery could be what they deliver to other people, but it's also very likely what they experience themselves in life. The point is that this sinful life will be surrounded by this ruin and misery. Why is this world messed up? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there such sadness? Because we live in a world that has been messed up by sin. Verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. This is not a a life that's filled with contentment. It's not a life of satisfaction. There's always something missing in this life, something more that is needed. And this is a life that is marked by a constant restlessness. There's always something added that has to come to to keep people content. We've been watching this weekend that really good film, Cool Runnings, the story of the Jamaican bobsleigh team, which I think appeared at the Safari Supper uh, at Christmas time, and the Jamaican bobsleigh team. And there's an incident in that film where the coach who had won gold medals and then had cheated at Olympics previously is speaking to the, the main driver of the bobsleigh team. And he's asking basically why the coach did what he did. And they got onto this conversation about gold medals. And this young fellow just would love to emulate his father, who previously won a gold medal in sprinting. And a very interesting thing is said. If you are not content and complete without a gold medal, you will not be content and complete with the gold medal. In other words, just adding something else into your life. If you're not ready at peace, just adding something else will not bring that state of contentment. Augustine, the early church father, he says, my heart is restless, O God, until it finds rest in you. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the the biggest problem of all. This is what all these other sins come from. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs tells us, and a life which is marked by such a reverence of God will be a, a life that has fruitfulness and blessing. But where there is no fear of God, it will be a life of foolishness. It will be a life that might promise much, but in the end deliver so little. And we need to understand what's been talked about here, having no fear of God, is ungodliness. And ungodliness and unrighteousness go hand in hand. When God is taken out of the picture, a life of sin will follow. People have tried in the past, I think it was maybe John Major who tried a, a back to basics campaign about morality and, and integrity within politics, and they had to scrap it because of all the scandals that soon came to light. When God is not in the right place in the picture, morality will not be there. Right living will not be there. 
And this leads to a life of misery. Sin's corruption, sin's wickedness, sin's misery. And finally, sin's condemnation, verses 19 to 20. And here we come to the very climax which Paul has been leading up to here in these early part of Romans. It says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And this is Paul's purpose in the, this opening section of the book of Romans, that every mouth will be silenced, that the weight of evidence against people will be seen to be so strong they cannot put up a defense. All are held accountable to God. The whole world is seen as guilty before God. The problem Paul knew was that people measure themselves against others and they appear okay. You remember the, the story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector that went up to pray in the temple, and the Pharisee talked about all the wonderful things he did, and he compared himself to the sins of this tax collector, and he felt good. When we measure ourselves against God, though, it is a very different story. In Luke 5, we have Jesus having an encounter with Peter. Peter is fishing. You remember the story? He fished all night. They caught nothing. Jesus sends them out to fish again and to lay the net down the other side. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was not a fisherman. Peter thought he knew better. He basically rebuked the Lord for telling him to do this, but he does it anyway. Then he has that great catch of fish. Jesus shows him something of his own glory. And this is what Peter says to Jesus. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What made him aware at that point of his sin? It wasn't words. It was a sense of the glory of of the divine Christ shining through. When Jesus did that miracle, he became aware of his majesty, which made him aware of his own sin. Let me put it this way. The, the truth about Christ, the glory of Christ for Peter, at that moment was no longer a theory that he just had heard about but was an experience that he felt. And we need not just to hear the words that this is a holy, majestic, pure, and glorious God. We need more than the words. We need a sense of the divine, a sense of the majesty of God, a sense like what Isaiah had in the temple when he says, I'm ruined. It's only when we have a sense of God in our souls that then we realize this description here in Romans. This description in Romans is true of me. This is me by nature. I am this person who by nature turns from God. I am this person by nature who is confused and mixed up. I am this person by nature is unkind and cruel to others. I'm this person who by nature goes my own way into misery. Look what he says in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The problem was some of the Jews thought that the law of God was a ladder through which they climbed to heaven. One good deed after another would take you up another rung. And the message that Paul is giving here, listen, the law of God is not a ladder by which we climb to heaven. The law of God is a signpost showing us that we cannot get to heaven by what we do. We have to go through Jesus. 
some of us coming to church this morning had to be diverted because of the closure in the diamond. We need to be diverted spiritually. Here were people thinking, if I do this, that, the other thing, I'm a good enough person, I'll be right with God. The law of God is not a means to heaven. The law of God is saying to us, you are guilty. You don't measure up. You don't reach God's standard. You don't keep the commandments perfectly, which is what required. It's a signpost to point us to Jesus. And if you are a Christian, this is one of the reasons as you grow in your Christian life, particularly the early years, but this should be true of all our Christian life, the more we come to understand God's Word, the more we come to understand God's law, the more we come to understand God, we should feel as if we're getting worse. And it's not that we're becoming worse people. It's that because we're becoming more and more conscious of our sinfulness as we are given the light of God's truth shining upon us. So if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian over years and you feel at times maybe you're getting worse, that's a healthy sign. That's a good sign. When you're not being made conscious of your faults and your failings and your sin, when you're not being made conscious of that, that's when you need to worry. But the way of the Christian life is the way of grace. We've been spending quite a few weeks, and thank you for persevering in this, looking at these chapters. Basically, Paul's purpose in these first few chapters is to take away any sense of self-confidence, any sense of self-righteousness. And basically, for us to be confronted with this truth, you're a sinner. You fall short. Your only hope is the Savior. May God give us the grace as we come next week Moving from the bad news, focusing a bit more on the good news. So today we've seen sin's corruption, sin's wickedness, sin's misery, sin's condemnation. Next week, we'll see sin's answer. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for how so often sin has such an impact upon us that Father, we even fail to accept what your word says about us. And Father, we have put our own thinking, our own assessment of our lives above what your word teaches us. But Father, here we're taught today that we are a sinful and fallen people. And this sin is not a few bad things. It's something that has got into every part of our lives. And our only hope has to be Jesus. Father, may what we have thought about today make us feel empty in ourselves. But what we heard at the very beginning of the service, the invitation for those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, to come to Jesus and to be filled. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to conclude with amazing grace, my chains are gone.
Father, we thank you for the tea provided and ask you to bless it to us. And we ask that indeed that the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that eternal love of God the Father, and that dwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen.